I want to talk to you about temptation. And uh, I want to talk to you about um, temptation from the standpoint of victory, of success, of overcoming. And I'm not talking this morning, and I do need some lights up here. Uh, I'm not talking about someone who has it all together, but I am talking about the person who has been appointed to, uh, to be uh, a teacher in this congregation and someone who understands that we all contend with a very real enemy. His name is Satan, the Bible says. And uh, his lie, <clears throat> and his lie is something like this. He will let you believe that God is real, but he'll try to convince you that God's not interested in what really matters to you. He's not interested in the real issues of your life. And a lot of those things that you're contending with and you can't seem to overcome, that no matter how hard you try, you're not going to overcome it anyway. You might as well just get used to that and just kind of fill in the cracks yourself. <clears throat> I want to... Uh, say that not only is it possible to overcome, to be free, but I want to understand this morning that there is a singular way that we can break temptation in our lives. And temptation comes to us in much more ways than what you're thinking right now, as we'll see in a moment. And it goes back to a story in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. That's our, our text for this morning. We've probably heard, read this story many, many times, but I want to take you back there as we move into God's Word. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the snake... Uh, was the most clever of all the wild animals. By the way, the snake didn't look like a snake in the garden. It was one of the most beautiful creatures. It was not till after God cursed it. But in any case, it says, the snake was the most clever of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day the snake said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? The woman answered the snake, we may eat fruit from all the trees in the garden, but God told us you must not eat fruit from, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not even touch it. God didn't say don't touch it. He said you must not eat or you will die. But the snake said to the woman, you will not die. God knows that if you eat the fruit from that tree, you will learn about good and evil. Your eyes will be open and you will be <clears throat> like God. What's going on in this conversation is the devil, out of the goodness of his heart, which there is no goodness in his heart, he's not trying to just clarify something that Eve didn't understand. In fact, he's not just questioning what God said, he's questioning why God said it. Uh, Satan is not challenging God's word, per se, uh, to Adam and Eve. He's actually challenging God's integrity. He's, in cha he's challenging God's heart, God's intention in what he said. He's saying to Eve basically this, you don't need to listen to God. No matter what he says, you don't need to listen because at the heart of it, God doesn't have your good at heart. God doesn't really care about you. There's something he's hiding from you, and so that's what you need to see. In other words, what he was saying was, Eve, God is not good. And if you will eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then your eyes will be open. And when your eyes are open, you will see what God is really like. If you take charge of your own destiny, you'll discover things that you'll find when you take charge, when you are God in your life, when you do your thing, you will realize how much fun you've been missing out on, what God has been actually keeping from you this whole time. And friends, that is really at the heart of many of the things that fill all of our lives here this morning, our pastimes, our passions, our pursuits. So many of those things, as innocuous as the devil would have us believe they are, those are the things that actually get in the way of what God really wants to do. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. He said, seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met 
as well. The issue is not that we can't have a passion for life. The issue is not that we can't have goals and we can't have ambitions. In fact, we are to be stewards of our life and stewards of our time. So we need goals. We need things that we give ourselves to. That's not the issue. And and it's not that we can't find accomplishment and joy in those things. The issue is simply this. The issue is whether or not I have the same passion in my heart in pursuing God. It's whether or not I have the same passion in my heart for the Word of God and what God wants for me. It's not that I can't enjoy life, but there's a difference between enjoying life and knowing God and just trying to enjoy life because you're actually replacing God or trying to fill a void that those things cannot fulfill. I'm not exaggerating this morning when I say that at the heart of every commitment I make that does not first have God in mind and what God wants for me in mind, it is a lie from the devil. It doesn't matter how good it looks, how noble it is, how it makes you feel. That's beside the fact. If I do not first have God, my pursuit of my relationship with him, and a pursuit of what he wants me to give myself to, we didn't understand it is a God in our lives. It is a false God. And not only is it that, but it brings an underlying message with the pursuit. It brings the message that God is not good. God himself is not enough. In fact, God is demanding. And if I really give myself to relationship with God, if I really give myself to what God in his word is calling me to and what he's speaking about personally, then I will somehow come away with less than if I do it on my own. Friends, that in my heart is the essence of temptation. Always, whatever the temptation may be, that is the pursuit, that I have to fulfill it myself on my terms. If I'm really going to find fulfillment, if I'm really going to find joy in life, that's what I've got to do. Jesus promised that if you will direct your passion toward knowing God first, and toward knowing what he's calling you to do, rather than letting your attention and passions be diverted in all these other things that might seem worthy, but they're not what God is calling you to. It's not what he's telling you to use your time on, your energy, your passion, your resources, whatever. If we do that, and if we will direct our passion first to God, Jesus says, then all your other needs will be met as well. Now, when we read that scripture, We usually interpret it in terms of Jesus saying this, that if you'll seek God first in his kingdom, then God will put food in your table, shelter over your head, and he will will, uh, give you money in your bank account. And he'll do that kind of stuff. But the other needs I believe that Jesus is referring to are those needs that actually drive us to all these trivial pursuits. Those are the needs, he says, I will fulfill. This other stuff, meeting of our needs, is is there. The Lord will take care of that. But that's not really, I believe, the need he's talking about. What is Jesus talking about when he says, if you will seek first a relationship with God to know him above all else, and then to give yourself to what he's calling you to do, regardless of what anybody else is doing, regardless of what looks like a lot of fun and looks like a great challenge and great fulfillment, he says, God will meet your needs. What's my need? He will meet your need for meaning. He will meet your need for significance, for importance. He will meet your need for novelty. How many of us like newness? We like new things, don't we? You know, if life gets boring, if life gets in a routine, we're, we're looking for something new. We're looking for a new challenge, a new endeavor, a new goal, something that we get, gets us up in the morning. We have a need for accomplishment. 
We, we have a need that our, that, our, that our lives actually matter. Anybody feel that way? I want my life to count. I want my life to be important. I, I want my life to actually accomplish something. And I, and I say this in all seriousness, but that drive is especially strong when you get into your 30s and 40s and 50s. There's a reason why it's called midlife crisis. Because we realize, honestly, we do, we realize we're at a point of mid, kind of a midpoint in our life. And we're looking back at our life, sometimes like you hit a wall, and you're looking back at your life and realize, I really don't have a whole lot of time left. What have I done that really matters? What have I done with my life? What really gives me meaning? And oftentimes, we give ourselves to so many things in a pursuit for that meaning. It could be a new relationship. It could be new routines. Whatever it is, we are looking for that sense of accomplishment, that sense of success, that sense of having goals and meeting them. And, and don't misunderstand me. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, will give us goals. But oftentimes, it's things that are second to what ought to be my primary goal. I can do those things that the Lord allows me to. But my first goal, as Jesus said in John 17, it's, Father, that they know you. And that they know your Son whom you have sent. And that you're my disciples. And you know what it means to be my disciple. That you know who you are in me. And you know that what I'm calling you to in me, and what I'm calling you to in ministry, and what I want to do through your life, it will bring you so much more fulfillment than anything else you're being diverted to. What your energy is being poured into, what your money is being poured into, your time poured into, your pride poured into. Whatever it is you're looking to for meaning, you've got to understand it doesn't compare to the true fulfillment and the passion that I want to pour through your life and the lives that I want to touch around you. And some of you here today have been waking up to that, and there's been some wonderfully exciting stories. Uh, the Bible says that God has made us in his image. And one of the things that God has done in doing that is he has given us incredible creative capacities. We have this natural desire within us from God that longs to be fruitful and productive. But here's the key. God promises to do that. He promises to fulfill that need if I seek him first. If he and what he has for me is what inspires me to get out of bed every day. Anything else that occupies that place in my heart, anything that replaces my passion for him first is the false god. And it will never truly fulfill my greatest need. It's a product of believing Satan's lie. Hear me, friends. It's not just that all of a sudden I'm ambitious and all of a sudden, oh, I've got some great things I want to accomplish. It is the lie of the enemy who whispers to your heart. And he says, oh, I see some free time you have. I see some free resources you have. I see kind of a, a hunger and emptiness in your heart for your life to really matter. Here's what you should do. Because you know why you should do this? Because God's not really good. He can't really meet your need. He can't bring that highest fulfillment that he promised. This abundant life that Jesus promised, that's just a lofty idea. That's just a dream. If you really want to experience that, you've got to break out on your own and oh, still serve God. Have him in your back pocket. I'm not saying walk away from God. No, you can still serve God, but you need to serve yourself. You need to give yourself to all these other things and fill your day and fill your week. In fact, every lie the devil tells you has God as the ultimate target. Every temptation that comes your way has a lie about God wrapped up in it. And here's a few things we need to do. Number one, we need to defend by our life 
the way we live, what we give ourselves to, the fact that God is good. Now, if I was to ask you this morning, don't raise your hands, but if I was to ask, raise your hands if you know God. Part of the majority here would raise our hands. Oh, I know God. And what we think that knowing God is, I know about him, I know the gospel, I've gone to Bible study, I go to church. Uh, 20 years ago, I said a sinner's prayer. No, no. Hear me, friends. To know God is to know God. Do you hear me? To know God is to know God. It's to spend time with him. It's to love his presence. It's to be in his word. It's to have the Holy Spirit reveal him to you. That's what it means to know God. It's to know him. And the only way to overcome the temptation to believe the devil's lies is to do what Adam and Eve failed to do. The one thing that they were expected to do, the one thing that they should have done was defend the reputation or the character of God. You see, when the devil came to Adam and Eve and said, in essence, God's a liar. They other said, whoa, 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 whoa. They other said, what are you talking about? No, no, you're the liar. God's not a liar. You see, my God is good. My God is good. I'm not going to listen to your lies. That's what they should have done, but they didn't do that. Uh, in Matthew chapter 4, we have the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Now, none of us can relate to this. None of us can begin to understand this. Jesus has spent 40 days in a desert place, in the wilderness, 40 days. At the end of the 40 days of fasting, hasn't had a scrap of food. The Bible says at the end of the 40 days, he is famished. Everything, every fiber in his physical being is just crying out for nourishment. It's at that point, the, the Bible says, that Satan came to tempt him. That's when he came. And what does Satan say? He said, Jesus, if you really are the Son of God. In other words, if what God says is true, if God is who he is, says he is, if you are who you say you are, well then, why don't you just turn all these stones around you? I mean, you've been going hungry for 40 days. Why don't you just turn this stuff into bread? Why don't you just make some bread? What was he doing? He was short-circuiting God's plan. He was short-circuiting the ministry that God was going to bring by his angels, and he was short-circuiting the power of the Holy Spirit in which Jesus was going to leave that wilderness and begin his ministry. He was going to say, here, why don't you just take some of this stuff, short-circuit, take a shortcut of what God has for you, who God is, and just fulfill your own needs right now. Why don't you do that? And I love what Jesus says. He says, listen, Satan, he says, it's not about bread. He says, in fact, and I paraphrase, more important than bread, more important than all this stuff you're talking about is every word that God speaks. That's what's important to me. You may remember in John chapter 4, Jesus and the disciples are traveling from Jerusalem up to the northern region of Galilee. He cuts through Samaria. They normally go the wrong way around because you're not supposed to come in contact with Samaritans. Jesus doesn't care about that foolishness. It wasn't from God's word. He cuts right through Samaria. He knows that God has an appointment for him. He finds this woman. When the disciples are sitting at a well to rest, the disciples go and get some food. They're hungry. Understandably, we would have done the same thing. They go off. He's by himself. A woman appears. Jesus ministers to her. She basically places her faith in him as Messiah. She's so excited by what he's ministered to her life that she goes off to her village to tell everybody. We find that eventually she brings the whole village to Jesus to hear him. Jesus goes back to the village for a few days in the revival, like the whole town's converted. But while she's gone, Jesus is sitting there. The disciples come back. And the disciples say, Jesus, uh, you must be hungry. Do you want something to eat? Uh, Jesus said, I've got food you don't know about. And they're thinking what we would have thought. Oh, somebody came by and offered you some lunch. Or maybe you had something tucked away you didn't want to share with us. So you made us walk and you ate by yourself. You know, whatever. 
You know, you know so you, obviously you had some food, and Jesus says, no, guys, you don't get it. My food is to do the will of my Father. My food is the Word of God to me. You see, I don't need this stuff. There's something that excites me more. I'll eat in time. But right now, there's ministry happening. Right now, God was doing something. And while you are off filling your stomachs, not condemning them, but while you are off filling your stomachs, my spirit knew that God's about to do something. Food's the last thing on my mind. And you know what, guys? After what God just did through me in this woman's life and what he's going to do in a few minutes, I don't even think of food. I'm so fulfilled. I'm so excited. I've got food you don't know about. When the devil lies to you about what God is really like, what he's asking you to do, he's asking you to agree with him. And you've got to understand this. When you agree with the devil, you break your agreement with God. We have a covenant relationship with God sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you believe what the devil is speaking to you, you break that covenant, that agreement between you and God. You see, the covenant that we have with God is what I would call a mutual defense. What I mean by that is we don't defend God physically with our own strength. God is God. You know, he doesn't need our help in that category. But where we can defend God is when we express a righteous anger against the devil. When he comes to us and in any way he tries to slander our God. When he comes to us and by his temptations saying, your God's not that good. Your God's not going to meet your need. There's a longing in your heart. Here's something else to do. Here's another novelty. Here's another project. Here's another goal. Here's something that will take up another 12 weeks or two months or two years. Give yourself to this. You're hungry? Here. Here you go. There needs to be something that rises up within us and defends the reputation of God. When we hear the devil uh, spewing these lies, we need to stand up and we need to rebuke him. In Zechariah chapter 3, there's this story Zechariah tells. He says, Then he showed me, Joshua, the high priest, stand before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at the right hand to accuse Joshua. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord, has, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing with, before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, that is to Joshua, he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity, your sin, away from you, and I will clothe you with pure garments. You see what's going on here? Joshua, who, by the way, is the high priest at that time, is not the Joshua with Moses, but Joshua is the high priest, and he's leading the exiles who have returned to Jerusalem, the rebuilding. <clears throat> and as he's there before God, just praying, just seeking God's face, talking, wanting to talk to God, wanting to get a word from God, wanting to pray for his people, while he is standing there in the presence of God, we get a glimpse into the realm of the Spirit, and Satan is standing right beside him, accusing him. You ever have that happen? You ever go to prayer full of good intentions? Okay, I'm going to spend some time with the Lord. I'm going to get an answer to this. I'm going to stay and break, you know, until I break through and I, and I get filled again with the Holy Spirit. Whatever it may be, you are there, and the Bible says the devil is right there to accuse you. And that's what he did to Joshua. What was he saying to Joshua? I believe he was saying the same thing he says to you and me. What are you doing here? You're not worthy to be here. Remember all the things you've done? Remember all your mess-ups? Remember all your failures, your shortcomings? Why do you even bother? You've got no authority to expect anything from God. Why would God use you? Why would God say anything to you? What are you doing here? You're wasting your time. You might as well leave. The same thing he says to you and me. 
But I love what the Lord does. I love what the Lord, because this is happening in God's presence. I want you to notice that instead of listening to anything the devil is saying, whether true or not, doesn't matter. Instead of listening to anything, any lie, any word from Satan concerning Joshua, the angel of the Lord stands up in Joshua's defense and he shouts, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Forgive me, parents, the kids aren't here. Satan, shut up. Shut up. You don't have a word to speak because everything that comes out of your mouth is a lie. The Lord rebuke you. And I want you to think about that for a moment. It's a covering, a covenant covering. What does that mean? It's when you have a relationship of agreement with somebody and you will not allow a word to be spoken against them. If you have a covenant relationship with your spouse, whom you love, if somebody begins to talk trash against your spouse, what do you do? You immediately cut them off. They say, listen, you can dump your garbage anywhere you want, but you're not dumping it here. I'm not listening to it. I'm not even going to talk to you. In fact, you know what? If you're talking that way, you're not even my friend. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to listen to that foolishness. And friends, if the Lord can do that on your behalf, if he will not allow the devil to slander you, then as the people of God, it is our responsibility to do the same for the Lord. Amen? To talk back to the devil. If God can look at you and say to the devil, like you said in Joshua's case, this is my daughter whom I love and who's pure in my eyes. This is my son, who I know has made mistakes, but I'll tell you what, he's my son, and I love him, and he's pure. He's clothed in my righteousness. If God can do that for us, then surely when the devil comes to you and says, listen, if you would just open your eyes, listen, if you would just take some initiative and just make your own plans and your own commitments and spend your life and your time and your resources your way, then you would discover that you're going to have a lot more fulfillment than if you gave your life to God. And when he says that, you need to immediately rise up and say, I'm not listening to you, Satan, because my God is good. If he says yes, he's good. If he says no, he's good. If he says later, he's good. I just want you to know, Satan, my God is good. And I want to know him. And I, and I want to know what he wants from me. I don't care what you have to say about him or about me. I'm not listening to you. And as soon as that, that temptation comes, I'm going to rebuke him because I know that he's not only trying to manipulate me, he's trying to malign God. And if he can malign God in your eyes, my friends, he will have you off on a whole lot of pursuits. A whole lot of noble pursuits, wonderful pursuits, fulfilling pursuits for a season. And then after a while, you reach the top of the ladder, as the old saying goes, you realize you're leaning against the wrong wall. And you've got to start all over again. It's an emptiness. It's futility. It's fine if it's in God's plan for you, with what God is calling you to do, and to give yourself to. If not, it's a lie of the enemy, and it's a false God. You've got to defend with your life the fact that God is good. You've got to defend the fact that God is true. To know God is to trust God. Again, we can say, oh, I know God. I prayed the sinner's prayer years ago. Oh, I go to church. I don't know. No, do you know God? Because if you know God, then you know God. If you know God, then you know you can trust Him. If God said it, then it is. When you read the story, you see the devil wasn't telling Eve that, that uh, she must heard God. No. She was saying that no matter what God says, you can't trust Him. 1 Samuel chapter 15. The eternal one of Israel does not take back what he says. 
he does not change his mind. He is not a man who would change his mind. Now, we all know the scriptures really well. We can cite them to her black and blue in the face. Pick a color. Jeremiah 29. God says, I have a plan for you. It's not to harm you. It's not to rob you. It's not to sell you short. It's to give you hope. It's to meet your deepest needs. It's to give you a future. I have a plan for you. We know the scripture well. There's a beginning. There's an end. It's filled with a whole lot of purpose in between. But here's the key. Romans 8.28. All things work together for the good to those who said the sinner's prayer. To those who go to church. To those who sit under the preaching of the word. No, no. All things work together for the good to those who love God. To those who know that they know God. To those who know that they can trust God. To those who recognize the voice of the devil and says, I'm not going to listen to you. God has said, he will do it. He cannot lie. God is good. God is true. All things work together for good to those who are in agreement with God. Friends, I don't say this glibly, but if God has told you something, don't you believe the lie that God has somehow given you the desire, but he's not giving you the power to do it. If God has called you to do something, don't think for a moment that God has placed this desire in your heart, this command, but he's not giving you the grace to do it. The word of God to you, whether written or prompted by the Holy Spirit, is full of living power, Paul says to Timothy. So when God says, I will give you a life that is rich and full, guess what? He will do it. When Jesus says, I have promised for you an abundant life, guess what? There's an abundant life that is waiting for you. The only question is, will you do it God's way, as Jesus demonstrated in the garden, or will you listen to the devil's lies and think, I've got to do it myself. I'm not that happy today. What do I need? I'm not fulfilled today. What do I need? I'm not this. I'm not that. The devil will say, here, do this, do this, do this, do this. And what happens? Our time, our energy, our resources, our passion, our days are filled with stuff. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, something you've get in bondage with financial that you can't afford, or whether it's watching Netflix every night for three hours, whatever. He will fill your day, your time with stuff that is absolutely the end of the day, not what he's calling you to, and will never bring the fulfillment that he's promised. When God says he will keep you, he will keep you. He will heal you, he will heal you. He will meet your deepest needs. Why? Because God cannot lie. We need to understand, my friends, we serve a God who speaks life over us. He doesn't speak death. He speaks strength over you and not failure. He speaks hope over you and not defeat. God speaks it, and God will do it. That's what he says. How many of you have ever heard this lie come into your mind? Well, God understands other situations, but he doesn't understand mine. You ever have that thought? Or God has given other people, you know, the power to overcome or certain gifts, but, but he didn't make me that way. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, this is a faithful saying. For if we died with Jesus, we shall also live with him. If we endure with him, we shall also reign with him. Now, the idea that the scripture even says, if we endure, that means we can, right? If you will stick with it and trust him and walk with him, you will make it. That's what he's saying. But he says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. In other words, the one sure way to not endure, the one sure way to not stand, is to deny 
that God is who He says He is. And to deny that you are who God says you are. And friends, that is where most of us fall short. You know what we do? We argue with God and we agree with the devil. That's what we do. God speaks to us. God calls us. God stirs our heart. God gives us a promise, gives us the word. He makes it clear in his word what we are to do. And what do we do? Unbelief rises up from the inspiration of the enemy and our own flesh, and we argue with God. Well, God, I don't know if he can do that. God, will you really do that? Well, God, how about this? How about that? How about that? How about that? And the devil comes right along and says, you're right. You're right. You're right. No, you're right. Not God. No, you're right. That's, that's good. That's a good reason. No, you hold on to that. You, know, you don't have to forgive. because No, you're right. You see, you've been hurt. You don't have to forgive. No, no. You see, God doesn't understand. No, God doesn't understand. So you just hold on to that. You just hold on to your unforgiveness. You hold on to your brokenness. You hold on to your pain. You hold on to your financial practices and mess. No, no, you keep holding on to that kind of stuff, whatever it is. You keep doing that. No, 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 you deserve your time. You deserve, you know, it's your life. I know he doesn't talk to you that way. He does to me. Because you see, at the end of the day, God doesn't understand. So you do your thing. You, you give yourself to what it is you need to do. Even though you hear God saying something else, you, you do that. You just agree with the devil, and that's where we get into trouble. That's essentially the choice we have to make, sometimes several times a day. I can either deny God's word when temptation comes, or I can stand up and defend those words and tell the devil, I'm not going to do it your way this time. And you can start that today, friends. It doesn't matter how long you've been believing the lie. You can break the lie today. You can break the stronghold today. You can stand up today and say, devil, in the light of God's word, I see where you've had me so long. No more. No more. In the name of Jesus, I am taking my stand. I'm not listening to your lies anymore. I'm believing God. God is good. God is true. He is trustworthy. And Paul finishes that verse to Timothy by saying this, if you are faithless, God remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That's basically saying that regardless of what you choose to do, God remains firm. If you want to veer off to the right for a while, God stays firm. You want to go to the left for a while, God stays firm. You want to waste the next two years of your life pursuing this new goal, this new God, this new thing that gives you fulfillment, you go ahead, he's still here. When you finally come to your senses, you know where he is. He's right here. Now, don't misunderstand me. That does not mean that we take God's mercy lightly. And at the same token, on the other side, it means that we don't take God's mercy lightly. What I mean by that is, on the one side, we never assume on God's goodness and God's mercy. But on the other side, my friends, and hear this, we never, we never believe that his goodness runs out somewhere along the process of our development. We've got to understand that God loves us. He is merciful to us. He stands with us. He walks with us through those things we need to understand he doesn't move. God is our God. He is our rock. Don't you love the old songs? He's my fortress. He's my high tower. He's my shelter. He's my anchor. Oh, my friends, those aren't just cliches. Those aren't just metaphors. Those are written by people who've gone through hell and high water and said, God has kept me because I would not believe the lies of the enemy. Every time the devil reared his head, I would say in Jesus' name, God rebuke you. You are a liar. I choose God. Everything God says is true. Whether or not it happens in my time frame or my way, God will do it. 
to break that grip of temptation, we have to learn to stand and defend God's reputation that he is good. And finally, we have to defend the fact that God is holy. God is holy. We need to revere God and rebuke the devil. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, we forget this, but there is a place where we live as the people of God. We are in Christ. That means where we live is near to the heart of God. We live in the bosom of God. Do you realize that? We live in the embrace of God. Jesus lives in me, amen, by the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? That means that he makes me holy. That means that this is holy ground. I don't know, that kind of excited me when I was preparing. Maybe it doesn't do a whole lot for you this morning, but that excited me. What the devil does is he tells you this, because he wants to overcome you, and he knows that he can't do that. And so what he does instead is he tries to persuade you that you have no protection because you're not holy. Oh, I know who Jesus is. I know what he can do. But see, the devil says, let's be real. I know who you are. And I know what you have done. So you see, that's where you lose it. The devil tells you that you've messed up one too many times, so you're not covered anymore. Anybody ever hear these lies? You're not loved by God anymore. You're no longer near God. You're not cared for. You're, you're kind of on your own. You see, the devil wants to make you think that God is tired of you. Oh, I've had that feeling sometimes. He wants to make you think that God has had enough. He wants to make you think that you can't cry anymore. In fact, I guarantee you, if you're here this morning and you've been locked up or you've been shut down, I promise you, the devil is going to tell you at the end of this message, you know what, there's no point in crying out to God. You should have done that a long time ago. But too much time has passed. Nothing can change now. Friends, that's when we have to remind ourselves that through the blood of Jesus Christ, I am holy. I have been made holy by the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit who lives within me. And because the Holy Spirit lives within me, he is jealous for me. He is zealous to work on my behalf. All we have to do to face the devil's accusations is stand up and say, God is holy. And because he is holy, he says, I can be holy. I can be pure. I can be clean. We don't want to assume on that, but we also want to understand that God understands our journey is a long, long way, and his grace doesn't run out. If you are in Christ, it means that in order to get to you, the devil has to get through Jesus. That's not just a cute saying, that's true. Devil not only has to overpower your resolve, he has to overpower God's resolve. And hear me, that is something that is absolutely impossible to do if you and God are in agreement. They just say, well, pastor, if that's true, then how does the devil get me all the time? How does the devil get me? I'll tell you how he gets you. By making you believe that he's got you. That's how he gets you. Do you hear me this morning? How does he defeat me? By making me believe he has. Do you hear me? That's what he does. That's his that's his lie. That's his deception that he brings into all of our lives. It happens when we agree with his lies. And that's why, as the scripture says, the battle really is for your mind. It's how you think about God. It's how you think about yourself. Think about this. How different would your life be this morning if you lived your life as though God is not mad at you? 
If you lived your life as though God is not disappointed in you, how different would you act today? What would you believe for that's different than what you settled for today? What would you pursue that right now you don't pursue because all your time is booked up in other things that are now the most important thing to you? God's not angry with you. God's not disappointed with you if you're his child. The Bible says in Psalm 103, for he knows how we are weak. He remembers we are only dust. Philippians, Paul writes, God is working in you. Will you read it with me? To help you want to do and be able to do what pleases him. You see, he's at work in you, in me, by his spirit and by his word. God knows that we can't do this on our own. He knows that we're dust. He knows that we are not God. And you know where Satan gets us all the time? By convincing us we are God. Now you'd say, I never believe I'm God. Yes, you do. Every time you take the reins out of God's hands, every time you pursue what you want without first seeking God and asking his permission, asking his will, we can put our own interests first and believe we're going to be happy. That is what it means for the devil to make us believe that we have that power. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Corinthians. He said, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars. But what do we do? We contain this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not ourselves. I'm going to ask musicians to join me. This great power is from God and not from ourselves. Friends, there is a lifestyle for the believer that is rooted in developing a zeal for the name of God, for the reputation of God. Have you ever thought for a moment what you presently give yourself to, if anything, how it reflects God, what it says to others about God, who He is, what He cares about, whether or not He does have power to meet needs today. One of the things that has really been our driving motivation through this whole Easter season, we've been talking about it for several weeks, it's for us to understand that we go through life every day rubbing shoulders, intersecting lives. If we are listening, how many times would the Holy Spirit say, stop, speak? Pray for, help, whatever it may be. But what happens? The devil says, either, no, you're too busy doing this. Or we don't even notice. Because when we get up in the morning, that's our goal, right? We get up in the morning, got to get to the gym. You know, got to get to work. Got to do my work. You know, got to go home off somewhere else. Got to sit and watch the next, next string of Netflix. Or, you know, got to watch the news, go to bed. Next day, nothing happens. We give ourselves to things the devil occupies us with that maybe things God allows us to do if first we seek to know him and we seek to do what he wants us to do, whatever those things may be. We need to develop a lifestyle that says, I'm not going to let God be mocked in my generation. I'm not going to let God be mocked in my life. It's a lifestyle that says, I'm going to stop listening to the devil. My answer is only going to be the Lord rebuke you, Satan. I just realize more and more, friends, what it means to be a follower of Christ. I have a job to do in this generation. You have a job to do in this generation. If anybody's taking the marriage course Sunday nights, you'll understand what I'm saying. Life is not about us just being happy 
our needs met, a nice retirement plan, six months away, whatever you want to do, whatever, the, you know, whatever. You know, spell it out. We all have different things, measures of success. That's not the measure of success. The measure of success is, as Paul said, I look back at the end of my life and I say, I've fought a good fight. I've run the race. I've completed it. I've kept the faith. I've brought people to Jesus. I've seen the Holy Spirit move through my life. And now, because I know God, and I know where I'm going, there's no fear in my heart. Oh, to be with Jesus is far better. And there is now waiting for me a crown, a glory, not only for me, but for all those who love him, all those who love his appearance. That's what the Lord says. But the devil comes and says, that's not enough. That's not enough. Here. Oh, you got free time? Here. You got free money? Here. You're bored? Here. God's not enough. Give your life to God, you'll miss out. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. I'll give you everything you need. I'll meet your deepest needs, and I'll give you everything else you need besides that. I won't just give you enough. It'll be the overflowing. If I asked any person here this morning who's totally surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, and I said, do you regret it? There's not one person who would say, oh, I regret it. Oh, I wish, oh, it's so boring. It's so boring. They would say, oh, I wish I'd done it years ago. I didn't know it was this good. I didn't know it was this fulfilling. We have a job to do, my friends. Adam and Eve had one job to do. All they had to do was guard the garden. All they had to do was grow the garden. That's all they had to do. Friends, we have one job. Their job was to keep the devil out of the garden and just to cultivate the garden to meet the needs of a human race. God's done the same thing for you and me. He says, all I want you to do, I want you to guard my reputation in this generation. I want by your life to demonstrate that God is real, that God truly meets your every need in your heart, in your home, in your relationship, in your finances, whatever it may be, that God is enough. I want you to defend that. I want you to cultivate that because of the generation around you looking, they don't know where to turn. They're hungry. They're starving to death, and they look at you, and you're just as thin, and you're just as gaunt. And they say, well, I guess that doesn't work. He says, I want you to cultivate my life in your life, how do you do that? You get into the Word of God. And the reason you got to get into the Word of God is because every time the devil comes to you, you can recognize him. And you can say, devil, I'm not going to listen to what you say. You talk to me, I'm just going to give Scripture back to you because the Word of God is true. And he will leave you. He will leave you. You know why? Because the Word of God is the sword. That's not just an image. In the spirit realm, the sword of God's Word actually hurts. It strikes it smacks the enemy, and he flees because it hurts him. It hurts him, literally, in the spirit realm. And we need to take the word of God and say, devil, not only am I not listening to you, but I'm going to tell you something. My God is good. My God is true. My God is holy. And because he's holy, I am holy. Get out of my life. Get out of my home. Get away from my kids. Get your hands off my money. Everything I am, everything I have, it belongs to God. Everything. Throw at me what you want. It doesn't matter. Take my life if God lets you. You know why? I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. That's what it's all about. Seek first what God wants you to do. Seek first a relationship with him, and I'll give you everything your heart longs for. Stop listening to the enemy. We're going to do something in closing this morning. I hope you'll stick around and at least give God 10 or 15 minutes. Can you do that? I know you're busy, you know, but, you know, 
Just consider the 15 minutes you give him, he's already given to you. You know, he's letting you breathe. Say, Lord, <laughs> I'm going to give you these next 15 minutes. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to ask the worship team just to sing it. And we're going to do before we leave this morning, we're going to boast about God. We're going to boast about God. We're going to allow the truth of who God is in his spirit, what his word is in our lives. We're going to stand up in those areas where the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you and the enemy has shut you down. And you've listened to him. And you've given yourself to lies. You've given yourself to things he said to you. You're going to stand up. And you may not have all the answers, but you're going to say, devil, in Jesus' name, the Lord rebuke you. I'm not listening to your lies anymore. It stops right here. God is good. I don't know how this is going to unfold, but God is good. God is true. God is holy. I'm a child of God, a daughter of God, a son of God. I know I've messed up, but I'm holy. I am pure. If I confess my sins, he will forgive me and cleanse me. I don't know why he does, but he does. And that's where I choose to live. That's what I choose to do. Will you stand with me? As the worship team is singing this song, I want to encourage you. You can sing along if you want, but I really encourage you just to shut yourself in with God for a moment. And whatever he's been speaking to you about, would you begin just to agree with the Lord? Begin to agree with the Lord. If he has you in a place where you feel the devil just has the upper hand, nothing's going to change, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's a lie. You're going to say, Lord, I don't know how to believe. I've believed this lie for so long, but I choose you. I choose to believe you. There's a myriad of possibilities here this morning in this room. So whatever it is, will you just do that? And if you want to, lift up your voice. If you're visiting, we don't do this all the time, but if you hear crazy voices, that's, I mean, in your own head, give that to the Lord. But if you hear voices around you, God's just working on hearts. And I want to encourage you, if God's setting you free or God's speaking or God's stirring your heart, you get angry with the, with the enemy. This is the place to do it. It's a sanctuary. Do business with the devil. In Jesus' name, I rebuke you. Get your hands off my kids. Get your hands off my life. I'm a child of God. I choose to believe the promise of God. There is good as done to those who believe. All things are possible to those who love God, who know that they know God. All things are possible to those who agree with God. Get in agreement with the Holy Spirit this morning. Let's just do that as the worship team sings this song. Thank you, Lord.